Welcome to another episode of Contra Mundum. I am CJ Ingle, one of the co-hosts here, and I have with me today um, the great Pastor Andrew Isker, who usually introduces the show, but now it's my turn to ask him, how is he? And Andrew, how was your week? Uh, it was good. I just, um, you know, the Boniface option is out, and I just received my package uh, with it. I hope that's what this is, um, you know, a couple of minutes ago. So I'm unboxing my own book for the Hoping very first alive. time. I hope it's Here your we book. Go. Hope it's not something that you like a children's don't book want to be live. We're going to re-record this. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Here it is, the Boniface option, uh, available on Amazon.com. So go buy it and and make all of our enemies mad uh, for buying it. Uh, so with that, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And so I think it's time to uh, pop some champagne here, CJ. So here we go. Uh, I will join you. And Nate, oh, and wow. yeah, yeah, please welcome. We totally left out our guest, Nate Fisher. Uh, the CEO of New Founding and founder of, of New Founding is here with us, and he also is is ready to celebrate. So here we go. All right, didn't break anything there. There we go. All right. Well, well, I you know I have a Baptist background, so I'm, I'm I got the right now. <laughs> I was gonna say, do you have your Martinelli's on hand, CJ? <laughs> All right. All right. Oh, there we go. He's more experienced at opening champagne than me. I just like I, shooting the thing. <laughs> I read that something like 30 people on average in France die per year from champagne corks. So uh, most <laughs> important right. thing is aim it away from you. Yes. Better safe than sorry. Uh, yes. All right. Well, cheers, gentlemen. Thank you for cheers. coming on today. Cheers. All right. Uh, I, did, I did see, Andrew, that you have a higher uh, sales ranking than um, Russell Moore's book. Yes, for now I do anyway. I mean, we don't have you know a huge operation with a huge marketing budget and, and so forth. So hopefully it's, it keeps going. Um, but uh, yeah, hopefully Russell Moore sees that and is crying himself to sleep tonight. Uh, we can only be so lucky if that's what happens. But yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And, and, and for all the listeners, everyone that everyone that's listening, watching, uh, I know a lot of you have been very supportive of the book. So thank you so much for purchasing it. I hope hope you enjoy it. You know, leave a review, comment, let me know what you liked uh, because uh, it's been a lot of work and and I hope it blesses a lot of people. Uh, but yeah, with with that, we have we have a ton of other stuff to talk about besides you know my book. Uh, so uh, CJ, you you have uh, been critical of uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, especially on, on, on a, a few things that are, you know, outside the main, mainstream of, of, you know, commentary uh, about him. Um, and, and in particular, one of them is you know, his emphasis on meritocracy. Uh, so, you know, tell us a little bit more about that. And then, and, and then Nate, you know, um, also is a great critic of, of meritocracy. And that's why we're having him on today. Uh, so, you know, tell us what meritocracy is uh, for any, any listener that doesn't know that term. And, and why, because you know, it seems, sounds like it's good. A lot of people like it. Uh, why is it possibly bad? So well, go ahead, merit, CJ. Yeah, meritocracy sounds attractive because it's kind of seen as this alternative to affirmative action. It's seen as like this alternative to, you know, some of the far left, they attempt to, um, you know, restructure certain grievances, especially racial and sexual grievances um, that are perceived to have happened in the past and affirmative action is, is seen as their attempt to use policy, to use government initiatives, to use corporate initiatives, to use all sorts of subsidies and grants and favors and all those things to basically set the playing field on an equal basis uh, in terms of hiring practices, 
and, you know, business startup practices and all those things. So affirmative action has sort of been this attempt by the far left uh, to confront what they perceive as, you know, you know grievances. Uh, and meritocracy has sort of been the so-called colorblind. Um, it's more of a classical liberal alternative to that. And it basically uh, is more individualistic. And so it, it says that we're not going to look at people in terms of classes. We're not going to interpret uh, dynamics in terms of, of classes or groups or collectives. We're rather going to look at the individual. And we want to incentivize the system so that it um, favors those who work the hardest, who are the most efficient, who are the best at spotting um, opportunities, especially economic opportunities, like entrepreneurial opportunities. So mm -hmm. it's this alternative to affirmative action in the far left. And it's this very classically liberal, like sort of Ronald Reagan-esque type thing where it's, we don't look at color, we don't look at sex, we're re we really are interested in how the market is going to favor those individuals who best perceive opportunities and can take advantage of them. So, um, you know, it, people who are, you know, wise at uh, handling money or looking for new opportunities and using their resources in a productive way, or perhaps are smarter or like in sports, they're, you know, physically stronger. And so it emphasizes that. And so there is a immigration side of that too, where immigration is based not on, um, you know, uh, race or ethnicity or cultural background or um, mm -hmm. cultural assimilation, um, cohesion, things like that. But it's rather based on, you know, how well can an individual perform and, um, you know, make the United States a better place to live. So that's sort of what I would consider meritocracy in a nutshell. And I think Nate may, might be able to, you know, um, elaborate on some of the negatives. But some of the negatives that I see is this completely um, ignores the importance of culture, the preeminent importance of culture and sometimes less inefficiency is healthier healthier for continuity of culture and so from my perspective as a you know a, a cultural traditionalist someone who's you know more conservative wants to see continuity in culture and the preservation of legacy and heritage and some of those things um, meritocracy can kind of undermine some of those things and what happens is you begin to lose sight of the interests of those to whom you belong and you can lose the well-being of your own people in favor of, um, you know, grandiose visions of, of the world, especially in economic terms. I mean, this has really mm -hmm. come to terms. This really came to the forefront uh, in the post-war economic liberal internationalist uh, order. And that's kind of where meritocracy really got its stride. And I think that, you know, you, know, you, you lose the culture and the culture changes. And you begin to lose sort of the grasp of your heritage. Um, that's one of the great dangers of a meritocracy from my perspective. Um, I could elaborate on that, but maybe that's like a 30 second summary of, of my position there. <laughs> uh, it was like five minutes, but that's okay. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead, Nate. I mean, you, you're, you know, you're Andrew of all the people, <laughs> of all the critiquing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to be silent. Here. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, go, go ahead, Nate. Um, I think especially like with, with, um, you know, piggybacking on 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 CJ's comments about culture, there I mean there are other concerns as well uh, that I think you've brought up. So, um, what what are your concerns on top of CJ's, or or maybe you you think he covered it all? Um, so I think CJ's are are great. Uh, my I would say the angle I'm coming from in my critique is is different and complementary to that, and they probably they they probably relate in similar ways, but 
fundamentally, my critique is not even the the liberal side of meritocracy, classical liberal side, but it's actually the technocratic side. And I maybe those two, I don't know the necessary relationship between those doctrines, but to me, you, uh, I, I would emphasize, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of merit, right? I want people with very high merit in many domains. I, I want people with merit flying my airplanes. I want people with merit. Uh, I want the best people doing my brain surgery. Uh, all of that merit's great. I'm really emphasizing the ocracy side, the, the mm. fact that it's a doctrine that elevates those of the most merit to rule. And it, it sort of says it's by right, we should be run by those people rather than like we as a society decide what types of roles, uh, what types of roles uh, merit really is the top priority and, and what types it's not, uh, which I think is a prudential calculus. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly, again, our culture, and this is actually relevant, continuity of culture matters. Uh, our culture is a culture that has historically placed a high value on on capability and competence in many domains. Mm -hmm. So it's fully within our culture to many, many places say we want we want to place uh, very high standards of merit there. Uh, but recognize that that's not a that, that's not a universal ideal and elevating that to a universal ideal uh, radically shifts how you look at the world and ultimately I think results in a lot of destructive things so uh, I view the uh, first off I would say merit itself is a is a when you start drilling down into what really is meant by merit uh, you end up with some tough questions so I uh, is uh, if, if, if merit, I guess, gives you the right to rule, then you end up with some high stakes questions. If you're trying to decide the best pilot, the sort of questions of merit kind of speak for themselves. Who, who's mm -hmm. the best pilot? If you're trying to figure out the best surgeon, questions of merit speak for themselves. Uh, but when you're talking about rule, what does it mean to be the most meritorious person to exercise rule? Uh, is there a test you take for that? Is it is it mm -hmm. is it the sort of person who did best in school, person with the highest IQ? Uh, are, do those mean you're the highest merit? Mm -hmm. The setting of the standard itself, uh, it, it, it's somewhat of a circular point. It, it doesn't answer itself, right? The setting of the standard of of what is merit is actually a, a political question in and of itself. But I think it, framing the question around that lends itself to technocratic answers. So you mm -hmm. inherently tend toward a very technocratic. Uh, progressive uh, approach to society where you try to sidestep values and say merit means uh, merit means highest capability in something. So uh, that's a roundabout way of saying I would say CJ came from what I would say is a, a conservative argument mm -hmm. against meritocracy. I would make uh, or, or framing it as a, a critique of the liberal aspects of meritocracy. I would mm -hmm. critique what I would say are the technocratic aspects of meritocracy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I do think they play together for sure. You know, I, like I also think um, when you're emphasizing things like immigration and a meritorious immigration policy, I think you can see that these come together. I mean, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, so you're not choosing leadership. You're not choosing, you know, your ruling class with immigration, but you are making political decisions. Maybe you in, are. Have you seen who runs uh, many of our tech companies? Well, yeah, but but they don't. I mean, they don't. They don't. I mean, in this, I mean, that brings up another layer of the nature of, of no. government in our time. You know, the technocratic managerial state, yeah. things like that, for sure. Um, but but I guess technically, definitionally, you could separate the two. Yeah. Um, you know, if if you want to, and you could have all these, you know, corporations and companies 
that are driving us away from our cultural past um, by mm -hmm. people who are the best and the brightest. Like I think a lot of these Indian tech people are, are brilliant. They really just are like, like individually brilliant in terms of their space, so their working space. The problem is, is they are one of the leading groups at odds with the, 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 the way of life of Anglo-America, you know? And so that's kind of my conservative approach to that, that sort of immigration uh, instinct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, now I, I think the yeah. other side of what I said, and this is, th this is a jumping off point. So I think the, the fact is that the question of merit doesn't answer itself. So if you mm -hmm. say that a business owner, I mean, meritocracy is often used to say, it's often used as, as a opposed to nepotism, right? If you're a business owner, the right. virtuous thing mm -hmm. to do is to hire the best person. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the sort of parochial, small-minded thing to do is to hire your, your son or whatever. Well, mm -hmm. uh, first off, you're presuming to tell the business owner what constitutes merit in his business. And who mm -hmm. are you to do that? Who are you to tell him what should even matter? Uh, I've proposed, and I, I this is not a well-developed philosophy, but as I think about it, so going back to Vivek, Vivek says meritocracy is the opposite of uh, CRT and of uh, wokeness. What's the opposite of wokeness? Meritocracy. I would say, no, those are two fruits of the same thing. They're two fruits. Mm -hmm. They're two fruits of a technocratic way of looking at the world. Meritocracy mm -hmm. says the attributes you should emphasize are SAT scores or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, two other metrics. Uh, wokeness says, well, we can engineer, we can use the same sort of technocratic model, but we change the weights to, uh, to get something different. And ultimately, actually, I actually think that related to meritocracy is this idea of equality of opportunity, which is one of the most dangerous ideas you can you can advance. And conservatives foolishly promote this uh, so-called conservative. I, I would say many true conservatives have been catechized to believe this. Uh, mm -hmm. You promote equality of opportunity as a doctrine, and you will end up with wokeness inevitably because yeah. uh, we're not born equal. Uh, we're not born equal and throughout our life from the moment you're born on there are factors that uh accentuate differences right if you're raised in a good family if your parents take care of you if your parents invest in you well guess what you don't have you have unequal un, unequally attractive opportunity as a result compared to some guy who doesn't get those so how do you remedy that you remedy that by stripping away the advantages that parents might provide uh ultimately that can lead to some of the extremes of uh, of what you see in communism or what you see in uh, in CRT, where you 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 can only achieve something approaching that equality based on uh, handing those functions over to a state that's going to treat everyone uh, equally by some sort of bureaucratic sort of uniform bureaucracy. And guess what? Even e even when there's genetic differences, even when people are born with different different skills or IQ level or physical differences, I uh, well. How do you achieve equality? You achieve equality by, uh, again, shifting the levers to to give people a leg up in different ways. So equality of opportunity, I think, leads to, in some ways, that's even more dangerous than meritocracy. Meritocracy can accept that there are people coming in have different uh, have different capabilities, but they're often they're often related doctrines, uh, and they're often promoted together. Uh, my my alternative that I've pitched, and I could get into that, is is ownership. I think fundamentally, yeah. the ownership and skin in the game mm -hmm. are the opposite of technocratic management. Technocratic management is management by experts, management by bureaucrats, soon to be management by bots and by computers. 
Uh, mm-hmm. No ownership in there. There's no skin in the game. Those people are are uh, almost by nature insulated from that. So the opposite to me is that businessman makes a decision on the basis of what he wants to do with his company. Uh, he decides that his son is the guy who he wants to put there. Uh, that's great. Uh, the, 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 the virtue is the owner making that decision. If he decides yes. that it, the son of a friend of his from his church, who by every sort of standard technocratic measure is not as capable, but he trusts that that guy is someone who's going to be aligned to him, is going to be loyal to him. Uh, there may be no reason that he's judging the other person, the more qualified candidate, unfavorably, but he just doesn't have the same social cultural basis for uh, having confidence that person's going to mm-hmm. treat uh, is going to be high integrity as someone he's known not uh, known through circles growing up. It's virtuous for him to make the decision yeah. is that is best given the sort of range of factors that he has. He's the owner. He bears the upside and the downside from that. And I think that's a very American that idea mm-hmm. that that it, it's not it's not necessarily sort of inherently aristocratic or anything uh, the way mm-hmm. some doctrines are uh, i think it fits very well with the american idea but it's one that is uh it's deeply grounded in uh in tying ownership and responsibility in and uh, really in a way that i think creates an antithesis of the uh progressive technocratic managerial regime yeah yeah absolutely i mean because there like like you said there are it is you know the system of value uh, of meritocracy is imposed from the outside where it's saying we have the metrics to determine who, who, who merits, uh, employment or who merits whatever. Um, and you're going to follow those rather than you make the own calculus yourself. And one of, one of the calculations you have to make when you, when you, um, own a business or when you do anything really is trust, right? Do it. Can I trust this person? And there's no there's no test you can have this person take. There's no you know SAT test or whatever to have them take to be able to say, okay, I can trust this person or not. Um, and, and and so that's that's a lot of it. How how loyal are they going to be, right? Um, is is a huge question when whenever you're you're hiring someone or, or whenever you're you're going to find a job. Is yep. are, are these people going to be loyal to me or not? Are they going to throw me out whenever whenever they get the chance? And and what meritocracy does in this this very technocratic system is it makes it heartless. It makes it just a, a numbers game where it's like, oh, all right. I mean, it's like, it's, it's like what's happened to, you know, I know Nate is a huge professional sports uh, fan. And so is CJ, but uh, it's, it's, it's what's happened to all, all pro sports leagues. Now uh, it used, it used to be a lot different, but now it's, it's very technocratic. It's um, everything is entered into these massive spreadsheets to figure out exactly the value of every single player. And through you know, through all of these little different metrics to be able to determine, is this guy 0.1% better? Is he going to give us 0.1% more wins than this other guy? And it, it takes, you know, it, it destroys the game. It makes it it's into supposed, just a... Yeah, it strips society of its humanity. Yeah, it makes it soulless. Yeah. It and, does. And, yeah. And and so it's it's the same kind of thing. It's like, it's applying what's happened to baseball and football and, and, and basketball and hockey and everything else to all of society and saying, right, I'm, I'm not going to think about this person as a person I'm thinking about him as a human resource and to see, you know, what kind of value I could strip out of him uh, for, for me or my business rather than, rather than the, the humanity of it, which is who, 
you know, what is he like as a person? What is this, what is this person going to, going to do? Is he going to be loyal to our, our company, be loyal to, to us and what we're doing? Are we going to be able to be, you know, um, loyal to him and, and have this reciprocal you know, relationship and so forth? Like it, it takes that all away completely. And, you know, like you said, like, um, it, it might be, I mean, I just look at it like, um, you know, we've, we've talked before about, you know, Donald Trump's uh, first term and um, why he made the policy or personnel decisions that he made. And a lot of them didn't make any sense to anybody at all, particularly like Jared Kushner. Like, why does he keep this guy around? He's sabotaging his, his, everything he's doing and everything else. And it's because this guy had no idea who would be loyal to him and who wouldn't be. Um, and, and so he keeps a guy like Kushner around, not because he's great or, or right, or has any sense at all. Cause I don't think he did. Uh, but there's some fundamental loyalty that you have when you're married into a family. Um, and, and so it's, it's like that. Um, and, 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 and a key point though, too. And I think yeah. you could easily see a Christian version of this where Christians say, well, you have to recognize it as a person, not just as a human resource. So yeah. virtue is a factor. But it's not even an objective measure of virtue, right? I mean, yeah. you may have reason to believe that the son of a friend of yours is going to be loyal to you, more loyal to you than a more virtuous person uh, mm -hmm. from the outside yeah. because of the social context he's in, because of a lot yeah. of that. Because ultimately, it's it, it's a it's a person in a community, in a society, in relationship with you, not even just a person taken in isolation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's not and even it, a judge. It's not even a knock on the guy. The guy may be a great guy in every possible way. Maybe he yeah. may have top scores, top merit measures, and he may even have top virtue points and yet still not be the best, still not be there. There may be plenty of reasons to choose someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And and so uh, with regard to uh, Ramaswamy, I, maybe I'm mispronouncing his name. I, uh, I'll find out tonight at the Vivek uh, Ramaswamy. Vivek Ramaswamy. Yes, I, I keep mispronouncing it. I, I don't mean it to be like rude to him. Um, it's like when Tucker mispronounced Kamala. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I still, I, I don't, so I don't feel bad mispronouncing her name. One of the funniest bits. Yeah, uh, uh, Kamala. Uh, so, uh, yeah, like his, um, I mean, in a lot of ways, like this, this guy is a, a candidate is kind of a cipher. Like he, he will just take on whatever he needs to say in order to, you know, appease people or make people happy. Um, because I, he's, he's written things in the past that are like, what? He said that. That's Oof. a good um, point though. I mean, you can, you can sense, you can sense like the sort of impulsive attraction to his rhetoric. People are so sick of like the woke hiring practices. Oh yeah. You know, like all these corporations come out and say, we're going to choose people who have been, you know, misaligned or, you know, bigots have refused to hire and all this stuff. You can see where the support is of his, of his ideas. Of course it takes, you know, it takes a couple of minutes to really think through it, to realize how dangerous it is. Mm -hmm. um, but you can understand why he's clinging to that narrative and why people are, you know, sopping it up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the big thing that, that, that I noticed, and I, I think you guys both have, have uh, written on or, or, or posted about, is you know him calling for like a 100% death tax and getting rid of inheritances and, and so forth, where it's just like I look at that and I think like I mean that's that is meritocracy. Oh, it absolutely is. I, I don't know. know if he even called for that, right? I think he 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 he, he proposed about it as it, a hypothetical. But what's yeah. it was 59%. But what's interesting is yeah, it, 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 he's gaming out the sort of theoretical implications right. of meritocracy. And even if yeah. he'd be from a policy perspective, he'd be prudent enough not to take it there. What's interesting mm -hmm. is he actually he's smart enough and he's theoretical enough to recognize where the doctrine that he's embraced leads. Yeah. And many, many other people would talk about equality of opportunity, meritocracy mm -hmm. or whatever. They're, 
they don't even think through it and realize no. that it points to exactly what he just said there. So they'd be shocked yeah. by that. But he, yeah, he's and, a very thoughtful guy. He, he in many ways, he, is. he in many ways has sort of he, he's the apotheosis of the sort of liberal uh, liberal model uh, with mm-hmm. a, a sort of weight focused on on capability over over equality. He's certainly not someone who believes in inequality, but he has a very liberal frame of the world. And I think his arguments yeah. reflect he's absolutely brilliant guy who's able yeah. to who's able to, I think, take those arguments better than anyone on the right has taken those arguments. Uh, but or anyone, uh, I won't say on the right, because I think that's not a, a right wing view, but anyone yeah. in the sort of Republican Party over the last decades has taken them. He's, he's I think, perfected them, but they're mm-hmm. they're very clearly liberal arguments when it comes down to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, tonight, you know, as we're recording, we're recording on Wednesday, and tonight is the big Republican debate. Um, well, not that big because you know the the leading candidate is not present for the debate. Um, and the only thing, I mean, we could right now the three of us right here could sit down and explain. We we haven't it hasn't even happened yet, but we could talk about it as if it already had happened. We could just lie to the viewers and listeners uh and said, yeah, it happened already. And well we could we could we already know all what every single one of these people are gonna say, other than maybe uh Vivek uh Vivek am I Vivek. 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 Yes. My apologies to Mr. Ramaswamy. Um and and um I mean he he's the only one that has anything somewhat interesting to say, even though I I I I don't like him i don't you know like his policy or the things that he's, he's saying or doing for the most part um but like at least it's it'll give you something to think about and 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 it's going to be a little bit different and well, i expect him to get a bump in the polls because of this um I, I think he'll acquit himself quite well uh tonight and um you know and continue to climb a little bit uh, i mean not he's not really a threat to trump but i think um yeah he he will come away from the debate i think if i'm making predictions and maybe i'll be totally wrong after this comes out um and and do do well and and rise i mean people will be exposed to him a lot of people for the very first time so um oh cj's doing industrial stuff right now i can hear it in the, in the it's okay <laughs> my, um, my meritorious workers are at their best that's right absolutely um and, and so yeah i think you know we could we could shift gears here a little bit there's been um a lot of um, a lot of consternation on the internet over the last week or two um, over, you know, uh, Christians who are on the right and uh, and it with with especially with regard to ethnicity and race and things like this and any any conversation about this. Um, you know, a friend a friend of ours uh, online, um, uh, Philip Derrida. I think he had he had a pretty good post. Um, last night or this morning where um he he basically said that what it, what is occurring right now is anyone you know the the big eve or the medieval of people the the leading the people who lead the institutions um any any talk about um race or ethnicity or or, or anything on that topic that is outside the paradigm of you know post-war liberal globalism um of just you know whatever we want to call it, I guess. Um, anything outside of that paradigm of, of what we since experienced since, you know, the civil rights revolution is um, axiomatically um, evil and anti-Christian and bad and wrong. Um, but the problem with that is that most of the, the uh, Christian theologians and leaders and, and, and so forth 
um, that our, all of our tradition comes from, all of our, our you know, theological inheritance comes from, um, are well outside that pale. And, and so they have to condemn men like John Calvin and, and, and Martin Luther and, and, and so forth uh, in order to condemn anyone on the right that departs from, from their views. And I, you know, I think we're seeing that quite a bit. I mean, Owen, Owen Strain has been the one, you know, has been the loudest one with in, in this regard. And, and it's hilarious because he, he says, Oh, there people like us um, and people on the right are making um, ethnicity into this, into a gospel issue that we have to think like we do in order to, in order to be a Christian, which nobody, nobody does. Um, but at the same time, he's he's basically condemning, <laughs> condemning anybody that doesn't think like he does, uh, to you know be excommunicated from the church, be you know calling us not Christians and it's anti-gospel and so forth. Um, and so there was a big piece in Religion News Service today, uh, saying that uh, Owen Strayan is is sounding the alarm against white nationalism in the church. Um, and there, there was an article by Samuel Say attacking, you know, our friend uh, Stephen Wolf, calling him a kinist and, and, and other smears. Um, and there, there have been other attacks over the last, you know, week on, on other friends. Uh, and, and so, uh, what, what exactly is going on? Like, what is, what do these things mean? Why, why, why is this happening? You know, is my first question. Uh, either, well, either one of you. Yeah, I'm gonna have. I want Nate to answer that. But yeah, you know, one, <laughs> okay. One of the, but one of the things that just strikes me real quick. Is like if if your mindset was as Owen is is preaching, which it has to be unity right now in the face yeah. of a cultural left unity. Yeah. Um, even if you had negative things to say about Stephen Wolf or whatever, you know, I think the wiser thing to say is I'm not going. I'm not going to have an interview with you about this. I'm mm -hmm. not gonna. I'm not gonna throw these people under the bus. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to create these conflicts and tensions and use the media which hates us as a platform for this opportunity for me. Yeah. That's what I think that's what Owen should have done, but go ahead, yeah. Nate. So I think the challenge here is, I think there's two fold. I think, as you say, the, the, the church has embraced this post-war, this post-war civil rights uh, doctrine, this ideology, mm -hmm. and you've sort of synthesized it with Christianity. And what's interesting is I think there's, there's, there's lots of different strands that have gotten there. You have Owen who's gotten there from one particular, let's say he's particularly sort of, biblicist and fundamentalist in the way he looks at the world mm -hmm. so that's why he's constantly that's why he can't he's not a very careful thinker and mm -hmm. he's not really able to distinguish between things that are promoted as natural law goods obviously he rejects he seems to reject natural law and that entire way of looking at the world right uh things yeah. that are goods from gospel issues so if you say this is a good thing it's a good thing to preserve this culture he's he's just in all over the map he mm -hmm. on the one hand he'll i mean he had a a, a piece on twitter last week i think where he mm -hmm. tried to distinguish why he was both anti-globalism but also anti-christian nationalism yeah, and it was just yeah. a, it was a it was incoherent <laughs> how he tried to distinction so he's trying to do it from a very fundamentalist perspective which makes it i think very hard for him to actually uh, and he's trying to do it from a fundamentalist perspective while maintaining a level of of conservative of, of cons or orthodoxy in certain domains so you have a sort mm -hmm. of a russell moore who's also come from a fundamentalist background mm -hmm. and he's just straight up sort of embraced uh, a, a generally sort of liberal view of Christianity. And he's very fundamentalist about that liberal view of Christianity, which you saw yeah. in his, in his denunciation of Uganda's uh, homosexuality law, which yeah. was just, a, it was a dumb article that he wrote. Yeah. And yeah. I think, but, but it was sort of consistent with, 
accepting these sort of liberal axioms. I, uh, mm-hmm. but I, uh, but then you have people who have gotten there from all sorts of other. It's kind of like smart people with motivated reason can get, can find a way to reconcile whatever theological tradition they come to with this. So I, I think it's curious how you have John Piper gets there from a more sort of pietistic viewpoint. That that kind of makes sense. I I actually don't think Piper has to do too much to get there because mm-hmm. uh, he's just embracing the sort of baptist abstention from politics generally which is a natural aversion in that space so i don't think he had to contort his philosophy i think no right might point to a fundamental disagreement or flaw of his philosophy i have Mm -hmm. with his philosophy uh but then you have the the radical two kingdoms guys and they come from ostensibly the same tradition as wolf this two kingdoms Mm -hmm. theology but they somehow managed to to change it so that it it makes peace with uh the post-war regime and actually sacralizes that and then you have uh, then you have someone like Andrew Sandlin come there from a from Theonomic. a Epirian theonomist yeah. yeah. approach, yeah. and he he also from a radically different tradition gets to the exact same place. Basically, I mean, yeah. how funny yeah. is that that Sandlin and Van Drunen end up with like, basically yeah. the exact same view of how we need to approach politics? And then you end up with with Keller, who gets there from a yeah. sort of a liberal Kuyperian view. And I would say Keller's in some ways, I, I think Keller's framework is actually very very good framework mm-hmm. but he applies it I, I, i've made a comment that if you take uh take keller's uh view of how christians should approach politics uh and you just replace the city with the nation uh you probably yeah. end up pretty close to pat buchanan yeah but, uh, yeah yeah but he yeah. doesn't think it that way so he no. he just but because it's such a prudence heavy viewpoint so mm-hmm. keller's all about the prudence someone mm-hmm. like Strand's totally fundamentalist, no, no room for prudence. Keller's all yeah. about the prudence, but then he's able to weigh the prudence in a way that happens to uh, align with Francis Collins and guys like that rather than mm-hmm. conflict with the world. So I think it's funny that like all these different people come from different traditions. They all end up with a way of, of making their their tradition of Christianity uh, at, at, at least at peace with the liberal regime. And I think mm-hmm. the fact that sort of Strand and some of these others are are more fundamentals in the way I approach things leads them to particularly vehemently uh, ostracize probably to the point that they would excommunicate uh, many people who uh, who don't align with them. Uh, yeah. Even though the differences are actually differences in many ways built on, on goods that I wouldn't say are presented in any way as gospel, uh, yeah. gospel issues. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's, it, it is, it is hilarious. I mean, it is like the, you know, the predator handshake meme, you know, with all these guys where they just all come in and, and, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's crazy that they're able to, uh, when you see it that way, when you frame it that way, um, accommodate, uh, the prevailing political power, political and cultural power, uh, to fit whatever fit this mold. I mean, it's, it's wild. You can, yeah, you can have, like you said, you know, theonomous and R2K guys, um, you know, join hands in, in denouncing any, any threat to the regime from the right, um, within the church. Um, but I, I think, I mean, some of it too, like the, the things that have happened over the last week, it's, it, it does seem like there is a very coordinated effort among you know regime media apparatchiks, I mean, our our friend uh, friend of the show uh, Charles Haywood yesterday was attacked by four separate entities on the same day, um, and it was 
and it was bizarre. Like all, what did, they didn't even really say anything other than a, a, a joke. They talked about a joke he made on a podcast one time about becoming a world. Is such a nice guy. I know. I know. And uh, I mean, thanks for boosting my friend because like nobody reading Like, I mean, it's, it's like a typical NPR. They made him look very attractive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. He got he's rich this, from shampoo. I'm like, he's this magnate yeah. middle American magnate who just formed a, a basic business became financially independent and now and uses his platform to to build a farm and say things say whatever he wants uh yeah. without regard to the, the censorship yeah, yeah. He's, i mean he's who, a model for a lot of yeah. us people should to, be doing the same thing to he charles be, hayward cj's doing the same thing right now he's he is going to be the camper magnate yeah. uh yeah. of uh he's going to be the the camper uh charles haywood uh so yeah exactly. <laughs> he's the war, warlord of, of of northern california <laughs> yeah with house prices you know, teardrop trailers are a great thing to do. Here That's right. You have, you have a, yeah, you have a great business. Um, but it, you know, it, it is, it is wild though. I mean, and, um, you know, not to, uh, not to dig, you know, too deeply in, on, on the attacks that have happened, you know, against, uh, American reformer and, um, and some of, you know, our friends and things that you're, you're doing there, but, you know, Jake Medor, um, had this, a uh, long Twitter thread about raw egg nationalist, uh, also also a friend of ours, um, and uh, you know just this shrieking screed about uh, the things that he's done online and and his his magazine and things like that, accusing him of being a Nazi and then accusing um, you know accusing you guys of being a, a neo Nazis and things things like that. It's just absurd and bizarre. And of course, it's taken up you know guys like Rod Rear and. Uh, um who else uh the the big fat guy at uh um national Re- or was uh was <laughs> i gotta be more specific uh jonah goldberg jonah goldberg you know tweets about it and all these people are, they're losing their minds over it um but i mean all these things it seems like it's coordinated i don't know maybe um but it, it, it's it seems like these people understand that a a resurgent rightism among christians is a very acute threat to the regime. I mean, it's something we've said often, and I, I think I think it's the proof is in the pudding. Like they wouldn't be doing this stuff, saying these things, losing their mind like they like they are, um, un- unless they felt very threatened by it. I, I mean, I think Wolf's book was was a major shot across the bow, and like you've re- I've read the whole thing. I, 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 CJ, I think has too. I don't know if you have Nate, um, but it it is just basic Protestant political theory that he's espousing. There's nothing all that radical in, in what he's saying, at least from a, a, a theological and doctrinal it's not perspective at all. No, 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 nothing new at all. He's just recovering, you know, Protestant political tradition and these people are losing their minds over it. Um, and, and so I don't know. I mean, do you agree with me? Do you think that, that they're, they're scared and threatened by, um, by, you know, anti-regime uh, political theology uh, making its way into in, in into the church. So I think there's a range of motives here. I mean, there's starting with Jake Medor. I think Jake is uh, Jake is a sort of bizarrely obsessive. He, he's obsessed mm-hmm. with us in a weird way. I think the guy yeah. is, I mean, first off, the guy is, he's just a creepy guy. If you look at him, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> let him within 10 feet of my kids. And I, 
you look at something, and I think there's a psychology. Uh, it, this actually ties to the. Uh, it's a point that we didn't make about the uh, meritocracy, but I. Yeah. Uh, so for the, I, I'm not well read in this domain, but for the Cotton Mather Fellowship for American Reformer, uh, one of the the central themes is is Nietzsche and how Christianity enters Nietzsche. And I'm reading, uh, I'm reading uh, the book Resource. Uh, what was it? Resentiment, uh, Res- Resentiment uh, by Max Scheller. And what's fascinating is you 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 see. See, I don't think for Jake it's even a fear. I don't know what his I don't know what his allegiance is, but I think it's perfect. Every bit of his behavior is perfectly explained by this concept of uh, resentment, and uh, that the, the, which is a the French word that would would be similar to resentment. And one of the points actually that uh, that Scheller makes talking about Nietzsche's uh, Nietzsche's use of the term is that a meritocracy particularly drives this resentment where in a world where it's sort of accepted that there's different different stations a medieval world for instance mm-hmm. there's not a lot of no there's you, you don't have peasants resenting uh the uh different status of of other people in society whereas you create a meritocracy and you start to uh you start to establish uh th- this sort of competition and that drives a that that could that that tends to drive this resentment by uh, by people who end up uh, not doing as well. It's no longer accepted as sort of, I guess, fine or natural or or fate or whatever. And it's now it's now something that drives them to lash out and try to tear down and destroy those who are uh, those who are uh, succeeding in ways that are not those who have things that they don't have fundamentally. And so you look at that, and I would say for a lot of these people. Uh, particularly the sort of some of the rivals in the evangelical, I mean, Jake to a T, I think it's best described by, uh, by that concept. Uh, Now that plays very, very well into the hands of a regime that wants to, that sees this as sort of a growing center of energy and a growing threat. And you have people who are much more strategic about that. And they've essentially declared war on this. Uh, They've declared war on this. uh, I think recognizing that it is a, uh, sort of a, a virulent, a viable uh, alternative to liberalism. And so it, it, I, I don't know if it's all coordinated or if it's sort of opportunistic where you have, uh, I mean, the social media, social media dynamics are so, the, the way swarms behave is so uh, yeah. complex and in some sense poorly understood. But you have a lot of people who are uh, recognizing the energy and and jumping on this attack. Uh, combined with a lot of people who I think ostensibly based on their belief should be on our side and yet are, uh, and yet also, also seem to hate this. Yeah. Yeah. CJ, you, you had, you had a comment as well. Uh, I kind of lost track of where I was. I had some distractions in the background. (laughs) Um, Too much going on. I don't remember what my comment was. Um, it was probably something funny about Jake Medor. Uh, (laughs) so, uh, I don't have anything else to add there. You know, I, I also, I do think it is interesting though. Um, like, as you said, just to see the coalescing, like it's, it's funny that like we are getting attention. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. crazy. You know, it's, it's like, I, I said this like a, a year ago, almost like I, I never wanted to be a Christian nationalist. I was never really interested yeah. in it. Yeah. You know, Steve, Stephen Wolf's been using this phrase um, for years now before the book was released. Um, yeah. 
uh, I've always appreciated his insights, but I never, you know, wanted to be that. I, I always thought of myself as just a typical paleo conservative. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Just, mm -hmm. um, you know, influenced by Paul Gottfried in the '90s, paleo conservative San Francisco and stuff like that. Um, of course, you know, reading his book, I became, you know, just inundated with, you know, a completely new world of things in terms of political theology. Um, but their reaction to this inspires me to wear the t-shirt like yeah. you know I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, i'm going on a trip this weekend i'm gonna wear the t-shirt like this it's it's just funny because they're not undermining the movement they're no. sparking it you know and i think that's the sort of effect they have right now they're toxic and everything that they touch for the last you know 75 years has turned to dust and the same thing is going to happen um with their liberal democracy nobody's no. interested in it anymore people are looking for alternatives and we are offering you know a vitalist masculine political theology grounded um in a metaphysical view of the universe with god as the head and us as his creation and tasked with dominion and i, I think that there's a lot of energy there and that's kind of what i take out of it yeah i, I think um that it, it the the phenomenon you're describing and nate's describing um just i mean some of it is the streisand effect kind of thing where where they don't realize they're doing it um, because they, they just can't help themselves. Um, they, they, it's a, a dog chasing a car, right? Um, a kind of thing. But it, it's very similar to the media in 2015 and 2016 with Trump, where they like they would give him attention and focus on him and 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 lose their minds over whatever he says or whatever he would tweet or whatever he would do. And regular people would see that and think. Yeah, that sounds right. That's that's really good. Actually, that's a good point. Why why you know why are we in NATO? That doesn't make any sense. Things things like that, and and I think they're doing the same thing. Where it's like, oh, why why are you you know losing your mind over people saying that you know Jesus Christ is is King of America and we should have um, we should have a culture centered around Him, right? Why is that? What what's wrong with that? Exactly. Like, I mean, that's, that's the question that people are bringing up and then that people could tort themselves. And, and, and again, from all these different traditions could tort themselves to say why it's bad. And none of it makes any sense. Um, and, and so I think it's, it's the same kind of thing where people, people see, um, you know, the media apparatchiks and all of these, all of these you know, people like Jake Mead or people like that. And, and, and the things that they say and think you're, you're, you're going nuts over these things, but these guys sound rational. Like, like Charles Haywood, this, you, you watch his YouTube videos and they're all extremely uh, well thought out and well presented and, and good arguments, good ideas. And he's very, you know, very reasonable guy. And you think that's, that's the guy you're afraid of is, is, is a guy who, who sounds normal and, and, and is talking about these things uh, this way. And, and, and Stephen Wolf's books, the same thing, like the people that actually read it, I, I can't tell you how many people who are like, yeah, I saw people, you know, going nuts over it. And then I read it and Oh, it was really good. Or, or my book with Torba, like I saw people, you know, going crazy about this and then I read it and I'm like, that's, that's really, really good book. Uh, I agree with everything you said. Um, and, and so I, I think that's going to continue. Um, I think that, you know, whatever movement or thing that, that there is, is it, that is extant is going to continue to grow. Um, the, the, the most important thing I think at, at this juncture is uh, the, the construction of, of institutions or the takeover of institutions, uh, because I, you know, things have happened in the past where you have a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm, but it doesn't go anywhere, go into anything. 
Um, and, and so creating institutions, building them up um, and, and sustaining them, those that's that's what gives, you know, makes movements the real deal. Uh, so, you know, Nate, and we talk about that because that's that's the thing that you are uh, also big into is building institutions. Um, I mean, do you think that that whatever we want to call if we want to call it Christian nationalism or, you know, uh, uh, right wing Christianity or whatever? There's not really a good term, um, but will institutions be formed to sustain this and keep this going? Yes. And that is exactly what we're doing. And I, again, the term, I think these things take time to work out. I think my understanding is even Christianity as a term wasn't necessarily yeah. widely adopted for quite a while afterward, many, many years or, or even decades yeah. after, uh, after Christ's resurrection. But uh, Josh Abatoy, colleague of mine, uh, he likes the new Christian, right? I think yeah. uh, Christian nationalism is, uh, has pluses and minuses. Uh, mm -hmm. Fundamentally, I think it's Christendom, right? We are yeah. pro-Christendom. We believe in yeah. a version that is not just a narrow gospel, but is actually a uh, a set of institutions that are are oriented in this direction and, and anchored to this and shaped according to this. So this is what I'm doing in, in two, two domains, right? New Founding is doing this in the uh, business and entrepreneurial world. American mm -hmm. Reformer is doing this explicitly uh, focused on the, the Protestant Christian world. Uh, in many ways, I see them as complementary. So actually, one of the interesting things is a lot of the critics criticize us for who we associate with in a business perspective. But if you think about it, many of these critics go work for Apple, which yeah. pays yeah. for people to cross state lines to get an abortion. So yeah. they've, they've made peace with recognizing perfectly naturally. And I'm not going to judge a Christian for that. I think it's I think it's a prudential question who you do business with. And they made peace with that when it involves what everyone accepts are sort of the necessary compromises in our society of, yeah. of uh, joining forces economically to work for the success of institutions that are, uh, are very aligned with the regime. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we are willing to work with a wide range of people, some Christian, some not Christian, uh, to build an economic coalition that can challenge the totalitarian agenda of the uh, of the dominant regime, and of mm -hmm. of often how that's uh, actually applied most uh, most uh, dangerously through economic uh, means of oppression. So they're mm -hmm. they're threat to debank you, they're threat to deplatform you, and uh, and I think likewise, I think the economic domain offers uh, avenues to. I'd leverage disruptive technology in a way that could be uh, rapidly, they, they could grow very rapidly. As a movement, mm -hmm. we have a lot of the energy needed to to build the core nodes uh, that leverage new network technology, just like it was deeply religious, profoundly dissatisfied people who were the first to come as communities, in a sense, gain a sort of network effect power in the new world. Uh, mm -hmm. Likewise, I think when there, when it comes to new technologies, there's a lot of opportunities for Christians to be the early adopters and, in a sense, kingmakers of that, and ideally, do so in a way that means that we now dominate a platform and a technology that is poised to disrupt a sector. Uh, which, when you're when you, when your enemies control most of the dominant institutions, disruptive technology is your friend. Anything yeah. that can anything that can reshuffle the deck, that can change the. Uh, change the status quo as your friend. And if you're able to intentionally leverage that toward a particular toward a particular vision, so there's a reasonable chance that the successor is uh, is actually reflecting our values, just as the Google algorithm today reflects a very different set of values 
Uh, that's that's an incredible lever that I think offers a, a lot of opportunity that's not available given sort of structural impediments, structural constraints in conventional politics. So mm-hmm. I, I see a huge opportunity there. New founding, you could best think of it as a venture firm for the for the American right. We are backing and betting on companies where there's a real nexus between these political trends, political and cultural trends, uh, and some of these uh, and major business opportunities, whether it's disruptive technology or just uh, untapped consumers, low hanging fruit to pick up. Uh, we do this through starting companies. We do this through investing in companies. We just launched a fund, a, uh, a rolling fund on AngelList uh, in the last few days, and we're taking investors for that. So expanding that side of it. And ultimately, the question is, how can we how can we bring together the people and resources to build these institutions in the private sector, recognizing that in many cases, there is a very political component to mm-hmm. the vision of these. And you saw this in what's the, the analog I give is you, you actually started seeing this when I went to Silicon Valley uh, mm-hmm. and back in the, the middle of the last uh, decade, 2016, 2017, and saw that the missions of all the Silicon Valley companies were fundamentally political. I mean, you think of Facebook's mm-hmm. mission, and it was to make the world a more open and connected place. That's not a, that's not like our goal is to make widgets, good widgets and sell them to people. It's to, Mm -hmm. it's to actually shape how people live together, how Mm -hmm. societies and cultures are shaped. Fundamentally, they have a particular political vision there. Well, absolutely. As we apply technologies, there's a political vision. And and in the business Mm -hmm. world, if you're successful at that, you can also achieve extraordinary returns. If your network, if your product, if your, if your technology is the successful one. Uh, Now, Mm -hmm. What are we aiming toward is the big question. And that's where I think mm-hmm. American Reformer comes in particularly well. So going back mm-hmm. to that, we're able, mm-hmm. we're willing to work with a very wide range of people. We have a firm vision of what we're going for, mm-hmm. but we're willing to work with and, and do partnerships with a wide range of people, just as all of us do in business, yeah. knowing that ultimately, if we can bring them together in partnerships that aim toward a shared purpose, then, I mean, raw nationalists, they criticize raw nationalists. They, they attack our partnership with them. I mean, first off, it's just, it's a joke to say he's a Nazi. It's absurd. Oh, I know. They, I know. They, they completely misread trolling. But uh, even 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 recognizing that he may not share all of our Christian views, he is literally partnering to sell uh, products that have Bible verses on them that help you live yeah. in a healthier way, that help you uh, ingest better mm-hmm. food and, and live in a healthier way. Uh, everything he's doing to advance that is advancing a company that is committed to a Christian vision and that is a good that we would recognize, we would all recognize as a good thing. So yeah. you got to craft your partnerships in a way to make sure that we're we're orienting people toward a vision that that we recognize as attractive. We're not just supporting, we're not we're not partnering with a lot of people to help them advance visions that might be contrary to what we want. Uh, but that's the nature of, of any coalition is if you can mm-hmm. you can anchor it and you can shape the vision for it and you can bring a lot of people along. We're going to have more influence on them and and on on how their efforts contribute to to our vision than the other mm-hmm. way around. So that's mm-hmm. I, I think it, what's interesting is these people. I, I mean, ultimately, they they want to judge us for having someone with a let's call it unclean past yeah. Uh, yeah. be in any way associated with us. I think they're fully in mm-hmm. line with the the Pharisees of Jesus' day condemning uh, condemning the people he associated with. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jesus, I mean, that, yeah. Jesus basically came to help those who are the left is interested in helping. You know, it's it's there's never any Only. grace extended, redemption extended, a mission field extended to those on the right. Nope. 
Now, going to the institution thing, what's American reformers' role in this? American reformers' role in this is ultimately we need an alternative positive vision for society. Mm -hmm. We can't just we're not we're not just trying to conserve good things of the past. I think the right ultimately is is destined to lose if that's all it does. Ultimately, technology ensures that things are going to be chipped away at over time. I uh, mm-hmm. and then particularly in American context where that's just built into our psyche in so many ways. But at the same time, just because you're you're chipping away at some norms, you're building new ones. And what the right has failed to do is offer a compelling alternative positive vision of what we aim for. Yes. Almost entirely seated the question of what progress looks like. I don't, I don't even I won't use the right word progress, but what <laughs> what the future, what we should aspire to. We've we've seeded that entire question to the left. And thus Almost all of these technologies end up chipping away norms that we consider valuable, but the only thing out there to replace them is the left. Well, as Christians, we don't have that problem. Christians have a dominion mandate. A dominion mandate is a positive vision of what we should be aiming for in society. And we have a very, very rich one. The Protestant tradition is a very rich vision, deeply in, in line with the American tradition, uh, presenting a vision of what a, a good society looks like, what an attractive, desirable society looks like. An American reformer is working on uh, re- re- drawing on that that broad tradition, applying to problems today, and working out and developing that positive vision. And then, in a sense, building the the components of the coalition that are within the evangelical church, restoring Christian institutions, mm-hmm. forming Christian institutions uh, that are being, uh, in many cases, infiltrated or attacked by the left, and also just. Uh, inspiring and, and organizing those who are drawn to this. So ultimately, I see American Reformer as shaping that anchor point, that vision. It's sort of the tip of the spear in terms of vision, uh, or, or it's at least the sort of foundational components of that, the principles, the value, mm-hmm. that anchor of truth. And then a lot of the entrepreneurial efforts you see through new founding, through the ventures, are ultimately filling that out and fleshing that out in many, many domains and building the mm-hmm. building the institutions that have the power to actually sustain that and provide a viable alternative, the, the, the power of the scale to provide an alternative to and eventually fight back against and, and hopefully disrupt the uh, the leftist regime today. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Uh, yeah, where, where um, I mean, we, we have, you know, uh, people listening to this that maybe are not super familiar uh, with American Reformer and with new founding and everything that you're doing, Nate, but where um, where can they go to find out more about, about these things? Uh, I know, um, uh, you know, you guys have a podcast that, that is really good, uh, and has a lot of, a lot of great guests as well. Um, uh, where, where else, uh, should they, should they be looking? Uh, like, yeah. Yep. What, so there's two podcasts, there's an American reformer and there's a new founding podcast. Yeah. Uh, there's, you can certainly go to the websites, newfounding.com, americanreformer.org. And then we're very active on Twitter slash X. So I'm, I'm out there actively. Nate A. Fisher, I, uh, I not as regularly as uh, as you, uh, Andrew, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I try to be right. an active presence, and I, uh, and and ultimately, I'll be talking about everything that we're doing through that, that, and then yeah. New Founding does. So ultimately, we're we're very much in, we're doing what we're doing in public intentionally as a strategy. Yeah. This is not just like I like it. This is, I believe that. <laughs> In many ways, in the economic space, you have a lot of people who are aligned with us, but they can't, they don't want to raise their hand and fly the MAGA flag necessarily. There's just too much yeah. risk. I mean, of if you're not in a business that's exclusively in that space, there's a lot of risk. But yeah. 
by being very public ourselves and in a sense flying the flag, then investors can come to us, founders can come to us, people who are say very high level people in Wall Street or some other company, some company can come to us and, and all of them may be keeping it a little bit DL until they're able to make this move. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe it's prudent for them to keep it on the DL long term, but we're able to broker a lot of those matches. And so mm -hmm. that's that's it's a very intentional strategy that I think media is a powerful amplifier. A media presence mm -hmm. is a powerful amplifier for a business that ultimately is not a media business. It's actually about brokering high value, high trust connections, capital, mm -hmm. et cetera, uh, mm -hmm. in the dissident space. Because the institutions, yeah. going back to the question of institutions, the institutions that would broker this don't serve us. They're all captured by our enemies. Uh, yeah. Even the ones that are ostensibly conservative often have the sort of filters where they have the antibodies to anything that's actually actually opposed to liberalism. So we don't have the mediating institutions that we've traditionally mm -hmm. had, which means that there's there's a need and an opportunity to build someone who who, who provides that mediating function in the commercial space. So we're we're intentionally very public about what we're doing. We're we're unapologetic about our politics and that that plays into our our business and our ability to to sort of draw a wide range of people who who are attracted to that and and have valuable ways of connecting with each other. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, if if uh, hopefully you know, you've made it this far in the episode, you've been listening to Nate and and you're probably fired up. Like, let's go. Uh, this is great. Uh, so, you know, check out all, all of all of the stuff that New Founding and American Reformer is doing. Um, I think that's, you know, we don't have a whole lot of time left. I know CJ has to get going and, and continue uh, doing his industrialist uh, things uh, there in Northern California. Um, but yeah, is there anything else before we get going, CJ or Nate, that, uh, that, that you want to say? Uh, I had some banger tweets at Contra Mordor, so go check out those. <laughs> And, yes. Um, I uh, I need to hit 5,000 followers, or Trump will be arrested. So make sure you go ahead and do that. You better do that right now. Um, it's a very good account. Definitely follow right. it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. How, how about you, Nate? Anything else uh, you wish to add? I think this covered what I was hoping to. I think it was it was a uh, it was a great discussion. It was it was interesting how the the the, the components of it tie together and uh, enjoy the conversation. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time, Nate. Uh, congratulations really on the it. book. I mean, that's oh, thank you. exciting. Go I think the, you're by the book. Yeah, my book. Yeah. You are adding an important, important element of this, this movement that I, I think includes, includes really the, the Christian mission, the Christian confidence, the, the, the knowledge that we are, are leading a righteous effort. That's this movement cannot succeed without that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for those kind words. And uh, that is all the time we have for today. So thank you for all for, for listening, for watching and uh, you know, stay dangerous and we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.